Let's pray, shall we? Dear Lord, we pray that as we open your word this morning, that you will give us your heart, your insight, give us open hearts to hear what you may say to us today. Lord, we thank you for these words. We thank you for Paul who spoke them, and thank you that your word cuts right into our being. Lord, so I want to pray, if we've come here this morning, sort of weighed down with burdens, that you will encourage us and help us to keep going in our faith with you. And Lord, if we've come just needing some kind of reassurance, reassure us. And Lord, if we need challenging, then just challenge us out of our comfort, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I wonder whether you're a glass half full or half empty type of person. Well, I'm just going to drink this for a while while you ponder that. <laughs> Keep on going. That's better. Glass half full or half empty. Now, different people look on life in a different way, don't they? Some people are very optimistic. Some people are very pessimistic, always looking for the worst sides of a situation. Other people just see a glass. Couldn't really care less whether you're optimistic or pessimistic. You just deal with life as it comes up and think, oh, well, that's how it is. I'll have to deal with it. Well, when we're looking at the book of Philippians, we need to remember that Paul is in prison. Most likely, he's in prison in Rome. That's what most commentators seem to think. But he's in a place where his freedom, his dignity, any sense of comfort is removed from him. He's in a bad place. Humanly speaking, he's in a bad place. When we think about people being in prison in this country, people go to prison when they've committed serious crime, don't they? Broken the law, people go to prison. That's what prison is for. But Paul is in prison for preaching Jesus Christ crucified and risen again. Paul is in prison not because he's done something wrong, but because he's sharing the good news. And for, for us here in this country, that is something that I think is totally alien to us. But I think as we look at this passage this morning, we need to remember that that isn't the case around the world. You know, there are people this morning who are in prison, just like Paul was for sharing their faith. We were talking um, in the the prayer before the service about some um, situation that's been going on in Burkina Faso over the last couple of days with missionaries who've um, either lost their life or been captured for their faith. And it just serves as a reminder that actually the message of the gospel will cause us to have enemies in some places. Many people in the world suffer in the way that Paul does in this, um, this book. But we need to remember here that in every situation, we find Christ. Verses 12 to 13, Paul is talking about his present situation. That, for him, is reality. That is where he is. He is in prison. Does he look at the glass half full or half empty? Does he look at it as a positive thing or a negative thing? Look at verse 12. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You know, there are times in our lives, and actually just the description of circumstances isn't really sufficient. We have to go on and interpret what's happened. Um, It reminded me of a few years ago, I'd agreed to, to go and look after my sister's dog for the day. They'd gone out, and I said I'd bob round at lunchtime let the dog out, take it for a walk, put it back in again, and and then go home. So I got there, got to the house, put my key in the lock, opened the door, and the alarm starts bipping. You can see what's coming, can't you? So I go in, 
and go up to the alarm box and think, I have no idea what the alarm code is. So I put in my sister's date of birth. Nothing happens. Put in my brother-in-law's date of birth. Nothing happens. Put in my parents' date of birth. Nothing happens. Think of any other random dates. 1066, try that. No, nothing happens. So I'm left there, and what happens? The alarm goes off. So I'm stood in the middle of a, a doorway on a street where nobody knows me with an alarm going off. Now, you can't just say, oh, what a nice situation to the neighbors who start coming round. You have to offer an explanation, don't you? You have to interpret the events so that they don't call for the police. And me too, like Paul, end up in prison for burgling somebody's house. Sometimes we need to explain what is going on. You know, Paul has to do more here than just say, by the way, I'm in prison. For the Philippians to take him seriously as their apostle, he has to interpret the events. Now, I was thinking of a way of describing, actually, what this passage does, but without being jargony, which I'm going to be, I found it a bit of a tough job, but I think what he's actually doing here is Paul is prophetically interpreting the situation. Now, by prophetically, I mean that he's sensing what God's heart is in this situation. And look what he does. He sees that God is doing stuff while he is in prison. That God is moving in him, God is working in different situations while he is in prison. You know, there are some sections of the church today that when you hear the gospel preached, you would have it believed that when you come to Jesus, everything will be brilliant. You know, that life will become this bed of roses, that, you know, you'll, you'll have, suddenly you'll have financial security, suddenly, you know, your health will be wonderful, your teeth will suddenly become pearly white, and everything will be absolutely magnificent. And you read Paul here, and you can just say, not so. Not so. Paul is in a place of human suffering. Paul is in a place that is actually really difficult. Paul is in chains, but that doesn't mean that God isn't working. That does not mean that God isn't doing amazing stuff through the situation that he finds himself in. And Paul manages to do something that I know I struggle with in life. And it's to see a situation, see that it's really difficult, but actually look for the potential of what God is doing through that situation. To look at it and say, actually, it may look bad. Actually, it is bad. But God is still God. He is still working. And he will use this situation as any situation. Now, when I'm reading this letter, you know, if I was writing the book of Philippians and I'd been put in prison, it would go something like this. Dear church in Philippi, please pray for my release. The food is awful, the beds are hard, it's cold or it's too hot. There are cockroaches and rats and mice everywhere. Please pray for my release. And it will keep going in that kind of vein. What does Paul do? He looks at the situation and he sees, well, this is an opportunity for God to work. God is working. Let's look at what God is doing. Let's see what God is doing in this situation. And this is typical Paul. I don't know if you were here just before Christmas when we were finishing off the book of Acts and we were looking at Paul in Athens. And we were seeing how Paul was, um, he, he was in Athens waiting for his companions to come and join him and he, he had to delay there. Now what would you do? You can answer me this. What would you do if you were left in Athens for a few days by yourself? Come on, shout some things out. Sightseeing. We Go and see the Acropolis. Any, anyone else? Shops? Eat, 
sunbathe, museums, yeah. We'd do all the sites, we'd do all the tourist stuff, wouldn't we? The kind of things that we find ourselves doing when you're in a, a, you know, an interesting place with time on your hands. What does Paul do in Athens? He sees it as a ministry opportunity. He sees it as a chance to go and argue for the gospel in the most intellectual of settings. And it's totally different, I think, to the way we think about things. But you see, this is typical Paul. There's an opportunity for sharing the gospel. Let's use it. Let's see what the circumstances are, and let's then see what Jesus is doing. But then we look at our own lives, and I think so often it's easy to look at our circumstances and to see, well, actually, Lord, if you want me to work for you, if you want me to serve you, you've got to change the circumstances first. Something has got to change, and then I'll be able to serve you. Then I'll be able to do this, that, or that, or the other. Now, I've heard people say, you know, when Jesus heals me, then I'll really be able to praise the Lord. When Jesus heals me, then I'll really be able to commit my life to him. When my job situation improves, then I'll be able to get my life back on track with God. When my family situation improves, then I can put my hand on my heart and say, yes, God is working. When things are going well, then I say, let's rejoice. You see, I think so often we are sold out to a consumerist way of looking at our faith. When we feel things are good, then we think that actually God is working. But I don't know about your life, but my life sometimes is full of a lot of false storms. You know, things where you think something amazing is going to happen and then it doesn't. Sometimes when you think actually a situation is going to become brilliant and then we're left with disappointment. But you know, God works through everything. Jesus works and is there with us in every situation. Paul, in his trials, in the dark hour of the soul, in the place of pain, sees that Christ is with him and Christ is working. The gospel is advancing. This is his prophetic explanation, if you like. The palace guard know why Paul is there. Now, we might read that and think, oh, the palace guard, you know, all two of them. If Paul is in Rome, that's 9,000 guards. That's a lot of people that know he's there and know he's there for the gospel. Other Christians are being encouraged as well because of what is going on. In the place of imprisonment, Paul sees that God is at work. Now, I'm reading this and I'm thinking, Lord, would you help me to be more like Paul? Would you help me, even through the trials of life, to say, Lord, what are you doing in this situation? How can you use me here? Thank you that you are with me. Don't let me look for some kind of um, solving to this situation before I see you working, but help me see what you're doing. Darren and I were at a conference this week, um, Fresh Dreams Conference. It's a conference of Baptist leaders from around the country. And we had a very long day, but it was a good day. Um, And there was one of the seminars that I went to by a chap called Roy Searle. don't know if you've come across him. Um, heads up the Northumbria community, not surprisingly in Northumbria. And he was talking in his seminar um, about, as, as ministers, about looking after ourselves and making sure that, that we're in a good place. And he was, he was in this, he was sharing about how he'd been in a conference in the 1980s. I'm not asking you to put your hands up if you remember conferences in the 80s. Um, but you might remember this song, Be Bold, Be Strong. Yeah, we know the song, Be Bold, Be, Bold, Be Strong. And he was talking about this song, and he was saying he was stood there in the mid-1980s with, with people singing this song, and there's a line in it goes, 
we're walking in faith and victory. And it has a nice sort of jingly tune that goes along to it. And it keeps on going, we're walking in faith and victory. And he said, it was absolute rubbish. Not, not the song. But the fact that people were singing words that actually weren't true in their experience. Now, we can sing that and we can say, yes, this is all about Jesus and his eternal victory and whatever. But the way we sing that song makes it sound like we're going to have victory in every situation in life. That every situation in life is going to be okay. And he said he, he, said he came away feeling really cross. Because a whole load of people were actually singing stuff that was separated from their day-to-day experience. If we read Philippians and we forget that Paul is suffering, if we read these amazing words that we're going to come to in a few moments and forget that it is se- and separate it from a real-life human experience, I think we miss the point totally. Christ is in every situation. Whether we feel that that is walking to a place of what we might look on as victory or not. It's looking at the rubbish of life and saying, actually, Jesus, you are there. You will work in that situation. When I'm feeling rubbish, you may still be working. The gospel is still being shared. Romans 8, verse 28, a really well-known verse. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things. I think we'd like to change that to to some things. But actually, Paul says, all things, all situations, God can and will work. What's your situation this morning? Are you in a difficult place today? Are there situations in your life where you think, actually, it's just a difficult situation. I don't want to sing a song about it. It's just difficult. It's hard. Can I just encourage you, don't look for resolution to that situation before you start asking God what he's doing in it. Ask God, what are you doing in this situation? How can you use me? How can you change me? How can you work through me in this situation? What's the incarnation all about? Why did Christ take on human flesh? It was because he came down into the mess of the world as it was, as it is, to live and to share amongst us. God doesn't need our lives to be sorted out before he starts working in them. Jesus is in the business of working out our lives in the mess, isn't he? He comes in, and that's what he does. Christ is with us. So whatever you face today, God is there. Whatever this week holds, Christ walks with you. And I, you know, my prayer is, Lord, would you open my eyes so I can see what you're doing? Lord, would you open my eyes like you did to Paul here so that I can see what you're doing? Second thing, we sort of get a little bit in the middle of this passage that's sort of um, squashed in between two sections that are fairly similar. And this middle section is all about preaching and sharing Jesus. Now, I'm passionate about preaching and sharing the gospel. I think it's something that, as you know, as the church, as the, the wider body of Christ, it's absolutely essential that we do. Now, as a preacher, and I know there's a number of you in the room who preach as well, the last thing you want to do is, is when you're preaching is to stand up and make an absolute awful job of it. You, know, you don't want to stand there and think, actually, you know, I want to just make such a, a ridiculously poor job that when I, I go off, nobody's ever going to ask me to preach anywhere again. It's easy and it's good to want to preach well. You know, it's something that I think is, is a good thing to want to do. But it can be very easy to start thinking about preaching 
in a sense that you want them affirmation back from people. Do you then want somebody to come to you afterwards and say, that really spoke to me, or thank you for a lovely sermon, whatever that means, or just thank you for that, thank you for sharing that with me this morning. But you know, it's so easy for that to invert itself and to become a very dangerous thing. This is what we see Paul talking about here. You know, the history of the church is littered with preachers who have stopped pointing the glory to God and taken it onto themselves. Who started pointing, preaching, back in on themselves. But in fact, we could use this for any ministry in the church, couldn't we? Any ministry, anything that we do, any way that we share Jesus or serve God can have the, the possibility that we can use it to build ourselves up, to feed our own egos, and not to glorify Jesus. And so we do need to test if, to test our motives. But what does Paul say? He says, well, verse 15, if you look at your Bibles, some preach from envy and rivalry. Verse 17, others preach out of selfish ambition. People are causing hassle for Paul. How would we respond if that was you writing this letter? I'd want to respond, well, tell these preachers to sort the motives out. Tell them to get focused back on Jesus and not be worried about all this stuff about themselves. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. I love this. But what does it matter? What does it matter why people preach Jesus? The fact is, people are preaching. The fact is that Jesus is being shared. What is important is that people are actually taking the gospel message and sharing it around the world. You know, our motives, sometimes we look at ourselves and we look into our hearts and we say, Lord, give us 100% pure motives. But we're fallen human beings, aren't we? We're fallen human beings. Sometimes those will will not be 100% right. Don't wait until we're perfect before sharing Jesus. Just get on and share Jesus. Just get on and do it. Yeah, we need to look at our motives, obviously. We need to be godly. We need to be holy. But we need to be sharing Jesus. And that is Paul's point there. And then we're back, looking at Christ in everything. Look at verse 19. Paul hopes that he's going to be released from prison. Why? Because he believes he's got more stuff to do. He believes that actually God has got so much more that he wants him to do. But he's got a bit of a quandary here. And on one side, he thinks, well, that'd be great, because I can be of more use to the church if I go on living. But if I, if I die, if I get killed for my faith, because this is a very real possibility, then actually that is even better still, because I get to be in heaven with Jesus. And verse 21, we get to, I think, what is really the pinnacle of the first part of the book of Philippians. This beautiful verse, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But as I read that, this part of me thinks, well, is Paul just some kind of you know, super spiritual bloke who can manage to just have you know, one foot on the world, one foot in eternity, and it doesn't really matter which way life goes? Is he like that? Is it something of that kind of nature? Or is it something rather more straightforward? I'm going to suggest it's something a bit more straightforward. What I think Paul is doing here is actually making the most sense of his present situation. He's seeing what is going on. He's seeing that all he's got left is a physical body and a faith in Jesus Christ. And actually, what is the more reliable? The physical body or his faith in Jesus? It's his faith in Jesus, isn't it? He has seen Jesus do amazing things. 
He encountered him on the Damascus Road. He's been released from prison by Jesus. He's seen Jesus perform miracles. He's seen um, lives transformed right the way across through his preaching and his ministry. And so here he is. What does he rely on? His physical body or his faith in Jesus? Everything is stripped away. And now we come to the crux of it. What matters to Paul? Well, it doesn't matter. If he goes this way to death, Jesus is there. If he goes this way to carrying on in his human body, Jesus is still there as well. A number of years ago, um, I was suddenly taken quite ill, and I had some quite disturbing symptoms, and the doctors thought that it could be something very, very serious, something potentially life-threatening. And so I was sent for a scan, and I had to go in an MRI scanner. I don't know if you've um, I, well, I'm assuming some of you will have had that awful experience of going in an MRI scanner when you go into this tunnel. And I remember going in there thinking, I don't know what I'm going to come out and be told. I don't know whether this is it. It could quite easily have been. And so I'm laid in this tunnel thing. And you start thinking, you know, what actually matters now? What really matters at this point of life? And it was one of those times when I, I have to say the presence of God was totally tangible. Bizarre, isn't it? You know, how when, if you like, all the chips are down, you start to see what really matters. And it's probably the only time I've really related to Paul when he says these words here. Because actually, if that was it, then I would go, I was going to be with Jesus. If it wasn't, then there was loads to do. Now, thankfully, I came out the other end and it was nothing particularly serious. There was still stuff that needed dealing with, but it wasn't massively serious. But at that moment, I think I understood a little bit more of what Paul was saying. But you know, also, there was another thing. And it was this. My faith at that point, and I think Paul's faith here, wasn't based on a human outcome. It wasn't based on whether God healed or God didn't. It wasn't based on, humanly speaking, whether things went into a brilliant place or whether they were going to go downhill. Actually, what mattered was Jesus. What mattered was Jesus. And sort of reflecting on that sort of time, you know, there will come a point in my future, and sadly, unless Jesus returns, or unless you're Enoch, or somebody very special, um, there will come a point in your life when you'll be told that your body is broken, when nobody can fix it, when that's it. What matters to you at that point? Is it for me to live is Christ? If you go on living, brilliant. There's always more to do for the gospel. But if we die, then we go to be with Jesus forever. So I think Paul has come to a situation, and in in a sense it, it is a very spiritual and holy place that he's come to. But it's actually a very logical place to come to. If you've got a deep faith in Jesus, he's come to the ultimate reality that he's at peace with Christ. Christ has become Lord of his life and he will trust him if he goes this way or if he goes that way. If it's the carrying on as a human being living on this world or if it's the go to be with eternity with his Lord. He knows that God will work in every situation. He knows that God will work even through him being in chains. He knows that Christ is being preached in the outside world and that the message of the gospel will keep going forward. So Paul is at peace. Peace with his situation. Peace with his Lord. Confident in the blessings that are to come. 
Convinced that if he's going to remain alive, God will have stuff for him. Convinced that if he's going to die, he goes to be with Jesus. Ralph um, sent me some song words this week. Was it by the Glorylanders? Where's Ralph? Yeah. Um, I just thought these were, these were really nice words. This is part of this, this song. It says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You know where that bit's coming from. And then there's a little bit of interpretation. To hold his hand and walk his narrow way. There is no peace, no joy, no thrill like walking in his will. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Yeah, there is no peace like knowing Jesus. There is no peace like knowing that we're held in the arms of eternity. There is no peace and there is no joy than following Jesus from that kind of mindset. Paul is at that place. He's at this T-junction. And whichever way he goes, he sees God's blessing. Where's your life taking you today? Where's your life taking you? Can you see Christ at work in the here and now? Even if that situation is very difficult, and some of us will be in those places today, even if that situation feels painful at the moment, even if you can't see the end of that situation, are you still looking for Christ working through what is going on? Because whatever you're going through, Christ is there. Whatever you're going through, Christ is there. Are you at peace knowing that whatever junctions or roundabouts or crossroads or whatever other type of junction you may be coming to lies ahead? Christ is there. Whether that's an easy one, whether it's a difficult one, whether that's something painful, whether it's something you're going to rejoice in, Jesus is there. I want to leave us with a very ancient Christian prayer. It's a prayer, the earliest copies of it date back to the 8th century, but sometimes it's attributed to Patrick, who um, evangelized Ireland. You probably recognize um, some of the words. Just says simply this, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down. Can I just ask you to close your eyes? I'm just going to read these words again. Just reflect on where your life is up to and hear these words that Christ is all in all, is in everything, and will work through everything. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down. Spend a few moments just in the quietness. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Lord, those are words of unbelievable hope.
They are words of assurance. They are words that can help us rejoice in our innermost being, knowing that we are held by you. And Lord, I want to pray for each of us this morning. I want to pray that particularly for those who are in places that are really difficult at the moment. Lord, that the same faith, the same understanding of the gospel that Paul has in this passage, Lord, that you will just give um, each of us that same depth of knowledge of you. Lord, help us to see you at work in whatever happens in our lives. Help us to walk knowing that you walk with us. And Lord, help us whenever you call us to, to be with you in glory, to go with that great confidence, knowing that we will be with you forever. So Lord, thank you for the promises of your word. Thank you that you say you will walk with us and never leave us. And thank you that they are for today, therefore tomorrow, and therefore all eternity. And so Lord, we rejoice and we give you thanks. Amen.